In every culture, in every country, in every city, people are looking for leadership. A big reason that some countries flourish and others falter, why some companies are so successful and others go out of business, is leadership. Uh, the relational and administrative capacities of a leader uh, can transform mediocre teams into greatness or cripple even the most talented teams uh, to failure is due to leadership. In every realm, in the classroom, uh, places of work, on sports teams, in cities, in countries, Fundamental success requires effective leadership. Uh, everyone here is a leader in some capacity because when you boil it all down, leadership is influence, and every one of you influences someone. So it's important that we talk about leadership. This is the sixth in our series of messages called Jesus Curriculum, and uh, we are talking about seven of the key things that Jesus taught his disciples. Uh, Doug Coe, the founder and leader of the fellowship that puts on the National Prayer Breakfast, uh, first developed these uh, principles, and uh, uh, he taught them to leaders in countries in all 196 countries in the world. Uh, there, are all, there are seven questions and answers. The first was, what is the purpose to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. The second is, what is the gospel? The gospel is a person, and his name is Jesus. Third question is, what is the work? We're activists. We think the work is to get out there and do something. That might be, but Jesus says the primary work is to believe in him. Fourth question is, what is the ministry? What's the church all about? What are we trying to do? The ministry is reconciliation of people to God and people to each other. Last week, we talked about what is the church. The church is the body of Christ. It's people who have committed their lives to Christ to take his fullness everywhere they go. And then today, what is the method of leadership? Doug Coe was invited to speak to 200 pastors uh, for a leadership conference. And as he began his talk, he said, let me ask you some questions. How many here like Jesus? Every hand went up. He says, we, they said, we don't just like Jesus, we love him. He says, great, so do I. He says, how many here believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God? Every hand went up. He says, good, so do I. So he says, if I say something that doesn't jive with the Bible. Are you going to believe me or the Bible? They say we're going to believe the Bible. He says, all right. He says, what if I find something you do or believe that doesn't fit with the Bible? Will you change? And they said, we'll change. One person in the front row was honest enough to say, we'll try to change. He says, okay, let's get started. Give me a passage in the Bible about leadership. There was silence. He says, all right, tell me something that Jesus taught about leadership. 
And one person uh, uh, quoted, Neither be called master, for you have one master, the Christ. Now, if you're using an NIV, which we use under uh, all our chairs, uh, it translates as instructor. But the Greek word, kathagetes, more often refers to leader or master than instructor. This is one of the very few times where I disagree with the NIV translation. So Doug Coe noted their program. He said, I see that the speaker after me is a doctor. He's got all kinds of degrees after his name. And then following him is the Attorney General of the United States. You call these people leaders. He says, this feels more like to me like a, uh, a Google or Microsoft leadership conference. Why do you call people leaders when Jesus says, don't call anybody leaders but Christ? They were silent. Some actually began to cry. Now, I'm not denying that there are good leaders in the world. I've already said that success of any organization depends on effective leadership. But Jesus' idea of leadership is very different from the world's. Jesus thinks counterintuitively to the way we think. We think leadership is to take charge and to be the most powerful person in the room. An elderly lady went shopping, and she came back with two bags of groceries to her car, and there were four men sitting in it. So she set down her groceries. This is a true story. She pulled out her gun. She says, get out of the car. I've got a gun, and I know how to use it. Well, they didn't wait to be asked twice. They jumped and they ran. Well, she put her her bags in the back seat and she was so flustered she couldn't get the key in the ignition. And she looked around the car and there was a soccer ball, there was a basketball, there was a six-pack of beer and very things very unusual for her car. So she got out of the car and she looked around. She found her car five spaces up on the street. So she got in her car. She drove to the police station to tell the sergeant what had happened, and he just started laughing. He pointed to four guys on the other side of the room, pale-faced. They were reporting a carjacking. A leader isn't the person with the loudest voice or biggest gun. Jesus' teaching on leadership surprises us. Turn to Mark chapter 9, 33 to 34. They came to Capernaum. This is a town on the Sea of Galilee. When he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? Now, Jesus knows everything. He already knew. But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. If you write in your Bible, write, Oops. Next to verse 33. Uh Uh-oh. Hand in the cookie jar. They were arguing about who was the greatest. After nearly three years of Jesus teaching them that if you want to be a leader, 
you must be a servant of all. They're arguing about who's the greatest. Who's the best leader? Who is more likely to replace Jesus? Who's the most gifted? Who's the best known apart from Jesus? Who's the most valuable to the kingdom? Who takes the best picture? Who gets the most speaking engagements? Who gets the most done? We are in the final weeks of Jesus' life. He has just done his greatest miracle other than the resurrection. He raises Lazarus from the dead. Now, when he raises Lazarus, Lazarus isn't just dead. He's dead dead. He's, they've already had the funeral dead. Martha, his sister, sends word to Jesus, Lazarus is very sick, come quickly. But Jesus doesn't. He waits for several days. He gets there four days after Lazarus has been in the tomb. And he walks up to the tomb. And everybody's watching. What is going to happen? He says, Lazarus, come forth. Everybody's going. And Lazarus comes forth. It's so amazing that we read John eleven forty five. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary, in other words, they came for the funeral and had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. Now, Bethany became a tourist attraction. People said, let's go see Lazarus, this guy Jesus raised from the dead. We read, but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests, those are the Sadducees, and Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. That's the 70 people who rule over uh, Judea, Jerusalem. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. So from that day, they plotted to take his life. So the whole idea of crucifying Jesus on the cross began when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Well, sometime later, Jesus went back to Bethany. John 12, verse 9. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there in Bethany and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So they came to Bethany to see Jesus, who had done this amazing miracle, and to see Lazarus. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. This tells you how desperate they're getting. We not only have to kill Jesus, we have to kill the one he raised. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. Now we're ready for our text today on leadership. It's Mark chapter 10, 32 to 45. If you want to use our Bibles, it's on page 1014. Jesus went to Jerusalem. Now, this is like the last week of his life, or it's leading up to the last week of his life. Uh, he's raised Lazarus from the dead. Many people now are believing in him that hadn't before. Many Jewish leaders were believing in him. And as he made his way to Jerusalem, the crowds 
grew in number. And this is going to lead to what we call Palm Sunday, when a huge crowd comes with Jesus down into Jerusalem. Mark 10.33. We are going up to Jerusalem, Jesus said, and the Son of Man, it's a title he used for himself, will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. The disciples are thinking, what's he talking about? We have momentum. So many people are coming over to believe in Jesus. Then James and John, two of Jesus' disciples, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Hey, sorry about the spitting, the flogging, the killing, all that stuff. But we want you to do something for us. Now, any good parent knows you don't grant what your child asks without first asking, what do you want? What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and other at your left in your glory. We want to be your number two and number three. One of us sit on the right, one on the left. You know, we don't care who sits where. We're not picky about that. We'll leave that up to you. This request comes after Jesus spent three years telling people that you don't put yourself first. You don't try to lift yourself up to a position of prominence. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am going to be baptized with? He's talking about the cross. He said, are you willing to go to the cross? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized. As it turns out, all the disciples will be persecuted for their faith in Christ. Judas will commit suicide. Ten of the other eleven will be put to death. Some crucified right side up. Some crucified upside down. Some will be thrust through with a spear. Some will die, uh, be burned at a stake. But to sit at my right, or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. They're mad at James and John. Not that they want to be two and three, but because they're thinking, why didn't I think of that? Why didn't I have my mom go and ask for me? Luke tells us that it wasn't just James and John that went to Jesus, but their mother went through, three of them went together. Why didn't I think to ask my mom to ask for me? So Jesus calls them together. At this point, I think he's thinking, I must have picked the wrong guys. Jesus called them together and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. The disciples say, yeah, we know how it works. Leaders at the top leverage people underneath them to get what they want. And then Jesus responds with four words. Not so with you. 
He says, I'm introducing a brand new paradigm for the way to live. The old way was me first. You want to experience fulfillment? You want to be a true leader? Now, here's a famous line. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. What is the method of leadership? To serve people. I want to say three things about servant leadership. First, if you want to be a leader, be a servant. Jesus says, for even the Son of Man, this is one of the most well-known verses in Mark, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is the Son of God. He created the universe. He comes to earth and he dies on a cross like a common criminal. It's unbelievable. That's how he led. That's how Jesus, the greatest leader in the history of the world, led. It's not intuitive. It's the opposite of what we think a leader is. Imagine what would happen in your family, at your place of work, on your sports team, at your school, in your neighborhood, in our country, if just a few Christians began to lead this way. Imagine how things would change in your life if you begin to lead this way. Jesus says, if you want to be a leader, be a servant. The FAA tells us that the chances of you getting in a plane crash are 1 in 64 million. Now, we thought more about plane crashes this last year because of two Max 8 planes going down and then the Ukrainian airline being shot down by the Iranians. But the FAA says the likelihood for you to get in a plane crash, you would have to fly every day for the next 164,000 days to get in a plane crash. It's a safe way to travel. The FAA studies flight crashes at their crash center in Omaha, Nebraska. They tell us that when a plane slides off a snowy runway or a plane that can't get the wheels to come down and they have to land on the belly or some worse kind of crash happens, 10% of people will emerge as leaders. 80% will do nothing. They freeze. And 10% actually engage in counterproductive behavior. They say in most crashes, you only have 90 seconds to get out before the plane crashes on fire. FAA says if you want to be a leader, follow a few rules. Don't medicate yourself. Don't blindfold yourself. Don't put on earphones and don't kick off your shoes. And be aware where you are on the plane. How many rows is it to an exit? If you want to be a servant, in the rare cases when a crash happens, you need to be aware 
where you're sitting so you can know where you need to get people to get out. Now, the Apostle Paul picks up on Jesus' teaching on leadership, uh, on servanthood in Philippians chapter 2. So this is our second text we're going to look at today. If you want to turn to Philippians chapter 2. And this is the second thing I want to say about leadership. If you want to be a leader, think of others as if they were more important than yourself. There's no question in Paul's mind that he sees Jesus as the supreme example of being a servant. Philippians 2.3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Don't miss Paul's strong teaching here about the divinity of Christ. He says in his very nature, he uses the Greek word morphe. We get metamorphosis. He says his essential nature and morphe means a uh, unchangeable form. So he says his divinity is unchangeable. That's who he is. Then in verse 7, he says, Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. There he uses the Greek word schema. He says he took on, but schema means a form that's changeable and temporary. So he said Jesus is essentially God, but for a period of time, while he was on earth, he took on a human body temporarily. The Bible's adamant on this point that Jesus is fully God. He's fully God, the creator of the universe. It was because he knew he was fully God that he didn't have to worry about the trappings of deity, while he came to serve us on this earth. Verse 7, Christ made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being made in human likeness. The Greek does not mean that he gave up his divinity. It just means he gave up the independent use of his deity while he was in a human body on earth. Verse 8, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. He made the ultimate sacrifice of giving his life for you and me. Jesus is our example of how to be a leader. Leaders serve those under their leadership. Leaders view those under their employ or their fellow workers or people in their classroom, people on their sports team, in their family as being more important than themselves. Third thing I want to say about leadership is this. If you want to be a leader, don't worry about yourself. Let God lift you up. What happens when we sacrifice ourselves in order to serve others? Do we get trampled on? Do people run roughshod over us? Paul says no. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. In other words, he raised him from the dead and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. 
Paul says that even though Jesus became a servant and he died for us, that wasn't the end of the story. God raised him up and gave him a name above every name. Just as God lifted up Jesus, he'll do the same for you if you serve other people. That's the way God works. He allowed Joseph to be in prison for 13 years in Egypt. And then he raised him up to be number two in command. He allowed David to be a fugitive in the desert for 10 years. And then he put him on the throne. You humbly serve others. Don't worry about yourself. And God will take care of you. Recent study found that men who retire from their jobs but continue to serve in their church, in their community, live 2.5 times longer than men who retire and just live for themselves. Retire and live for yourself and you might live 10 years. Retire and serve your church and your community and you might live 25 years. Greg Hawkins, in his book, Follow Me, surveyed 200,000 Christians. He found that those who serve grow faster in their faith than those who just come to church or get in a Bible study or community group. Steve Mitchell is an example of a servant leader. He serves as an uh, ER doctor in Seattle. He serves people every day who are facing disease, pain, suffering, even death. Listen to him tell his story. Speaking frankly, apart from my relationship with Jesus, I would not know how to make sense of the pain and brokenness that we meet face to face with every single day that I go to work. There are some things where you look at what's going on and you say, this makes no sense of all. There's no purposes, there's no meaning to this, and it's dark. Just a couple of days ago, a man in his 30s came in who um, had been on a binge of methamphetamine and heroin, lots of sexual contacts with many different people anonymously, and was just uh, you know, at a point of brokenness and, uh, and being out of control. We took care of his needs. We took, you know, took care of the issues of why he was there. And he had mentioned uh, uh, people, from his, people from his church and just very quickly, but said, you know, I'm gonna pray for you every day for the next month. Know, know that I will be. He instantly was in tears and said, you know, my primary purpose is to hopefully be able to give glory to God. And I'm not there right now. My relationship with Jesus allows me to invite grace, invite the transformation of Jesus into the midst of that. I can say, Jesus, I invite you, I invite you into this, and in that is my fundamental belief and hope that that Jesus will absorb that pain, that brokenness, that thing that makes no sense to anybody and absorb that and transform that in ways that I can't appreciate right now.
every day I'm, I'm praying for him during this month because that makes my heart glad when, we, when I get the chance to be able to care for people and love, love people in that way. Patrick Lencioni in his latest book, Motive, says a lot fewer people in the world should be leaders. He says a lot of people try to become leaders for the wrong reasons, to gain status, to write a book, to become famous, to get rich. He says those are all the wrong reasons. He says the only reason to be a leader is to do what you must to help people. That's called servant leadership. What is the method of leadership? To serve people. And that's the only kind of leadership there is. Lord God, thank you for these two texts we've looked at today that tell us about what leadership is. It's very different from the way we think. You tell us that true leadership is to be like Jesus and to serve people. And we want to do that. I want to give you an opportunity to tell Jesus if you'd like to do that right now. I'd like to give you an opportunity to pray. Think of the people in your life that God has put in your life and tell him you want to serve them this week. Not rule over them, boss them around, but to what can you do to help them, to serve them? If you've never committed your life to Christ, invite Jesus into your life. Tell him you believe he's the son of God and died for your sins and ask him to come and forgive your sins. You pray right now. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming and serving us, giving up your glory in heaven for a few short years to serve us and to show us what real leadership's about and to die in our place so we could have a relationship with you and the Father. We thank you so much in Jesus' name.